Hello everyone, thanks for joining. Today I'm speaking with William Roosh. Uh, William is a high school teacher in California and he also moderates a group for the Heterodox Academy for the K-12 education group. Hi William, thanks for coming on. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, so I've been following some of your stuff because I saw your interview with James Lindsay. Mm -hmm. So if you could do like a brief introduction, why, like what you're talking about, why you got into it, and then I'm going to throw a couple of conspiracy theories at you. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Um, yeah, I've been teaching high school for about 14 years. Uh, did my student teaching in Pennsylvania and then moved out to Los Angeles and I've taught in just every kind of environment you can imagine. So I've taught public and private, charter and regular and in the hood and in Beverly Hills. I've kind of been all over. Um, and uh, I started to see a lack of viewpoint diversity and just different things that happened in my life where I started to realize that um, my ideas of what was true or untrue uh, were actually more complicated than I thought. And I was in my, you know, early to mid 30s, so this is kind of jarring. But, but I decided to go into it as opposed to run away from it because I'm an educator, and how can I tell kids to be lifelong learners if I'm not willing to do it myself? So in that, I started my own podcast about um, different perspectives and things like that. And I've just tried to um, find other teachers who are interested in what I am, which is challenging the status quo, no matter what it is, and trying to improve education any way we can. Well, thanks a lot. And okay, uh, I'll put the links to your podcast and everything. If anyone well, hasn't heard it, check it out because there's a lot of good stuff on there. And you'll hear different viewpoints on a lot of these things. One of the things, okay, like I said, conspiracy theories. And I've spoken to a couple of people about this, um, but they're they're also outside of education. Mm -hmm. um, one was a psychologist. Uh, I'm looking at the stuff that's coming up through the education system, right? So, and then I'm looking at, and I don't know why I just started looking at these curriculums. It just because it just seemed odd. You see the uh, the K through 12 math curriculum in Seattle, and it's mm -hmm. racially diverse maths, and I'm like, what the hell is that? And then I'm looking at the way race is being talked about. And how they're teaching kids, and now that's in Canada, I believe it's three other provinces that are full bore with it. A couple are partially, and then some are dipping a toe here and there. And I'm just seeing it across the U.S., um, you know, in state after state. In some states where you wouldn't suspect like something like that going through, it is. Uh, now, what worries me about that? Like I have two big worries about that. The first one is I look back to. Like, I'm old enough, and I was a teenager when the Bloods and the Crips were, you know, like, like that, all that was going on in L.A. and then across the states. And then there's a white supremacist reaction to that. I mean, they're always a reaction to one another. And when they're talking about countering the gang movements or countering the white supremacists, it's like, okay, they go after loner kids. They go after kids who are disenfranchised. They go after kids who feel like they're, you know, they're victims that they're set upon. And I'm looking at this stuff, and I'm reading, like, I've read... Um, you know, Crenshaw and uh, Butler and uh, McIntosh and just, I mean, um, what's her name? D'Angelo. I've read Applebaum. Robin D'Angelo, yeah. yeah. Okay, like, I've, I've been reading this stuff. And then my individual papers, like, I follow that uh, near real peer review. And I'm, if this is what they're teaching kids, and they're teaching kids to figure out what's separate, figure out who oppressed you, who you've oppressed, figure out why you were, why you can't succeed, basically, telling them that you can't succeed and this is why. And all I can see is that's a smorgasbord for extremists of any type. So if white supremacists want to come in, get a bunch of kids, they're going to have a lot more to choose from. If, you know, uh, whatever, socialists, I mean, if you look at in Europe, in UK especially, and look at how many uh, Muslim kids that were raised there, went to go fight for ISIS, they're being taught in the mosque, but at the same time, if they're being taught that in school, that you're disenfranchised, you're a victim, these guys who give them a simple solution on how not to be a victim, they're going to follow it. So am I making too much of this, or am I, like, is there more of, is there less of this going on than I think? Is it, like, like I said, am I, am I wearing a tinfoil hat with all this? Um, well, there's a lot there. So, uh, you know, as you're talking, I was like, oh, I can address that, 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 that. I think the big picture would be, um, 
so how big is this? It's pretty big, but it's it's at the same time it seems bigger. So what I mean by that is the the colleges of education have been completely overrun by this idea. Okay, so it's not in the hard sciences everywhere. It is in Seattle in that math curriculum, but it's not in the math curriculum in Texas. I don't even think Texas state standards have Jim Crow on it. So there, there still is the extremes the other way too. Um, but the colleges of education are all kind of consumed by this wokeness. And the, the teachers that the national government, the state governments hold up especially in the democratic states, the, the blue states, would be, would they hold up as like the most social justice oriented. So the national teachers of the year, I talked to some of them on my podcast and stuff, but um, as soon as I gave a little bit of pushback, they, they, they stopped talking to me and it was very respectful. I just was curious, but all of the national teachers of the year, many of the state teachers of the year are all pushing a really hard social justice agenda. So if the ideal teachers, quote unquote, and the colleges of education are all part of this, even if that's only you know two percent of the the population, or even you know a, a small percentage of education. It's the most influential parts. So it's almost like it's like the the cliche thing of you know if you dominate the universities in Hollywood, then that's you know it's all just an avalanche from there. So there's an element of that that's true, um, uh, and also like I. It's not a cons- it's not a you know a conspiracy tinfoil hat thing. I think that more what it is is people just don't know what it is. People assume that it's good and they just let it go, and they're going to let it go and progress progressivism, progress more and more and more. And we just haven't established where the line is because when someone draws a line saying this is too far, they get smashed. So you don't draw. Like, Brett Weinstein at Evergreen is a perfect example of that. He just drew a line. He was very, very woke, very progressive. He wrote a Schwinn to school every day. And I mean, he is, you know, a Bernie Sanders supporter. Like he's all on the left. But then he said, no, this is my line. And they smashed him and threatened him physically. So it's 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 the, the lack of line. And it's a question that I heard Jordan Peterson ask. And I've asked a lot of people myself is what is the line of too far progressive? We know what too far to the right is racial purity stuff and things like that. What is too far to the left? And there hasn't been a consensus about that. There, there are things that if on the right it goes too far, then a Ben Shapiro or Tucker Carlson go, whoa, 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 that's too far. But I don't know what too far where Rachel Maddow would say, whoa, 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 that's too woke. I just, I don't, I haven't, I don't think we've seen that yet. So because of that, it, it adds a lot of um, kind of fear in people's eyes of, of where is this going to go? Yeah, and like I said, you know, I completely an outsider in this don't have kids don't mm-hmm. you know i'm just looking at it from the outside but like my next concern on that is okay growing up in the 70s going to school you know we were taught the civil rights ethic right mm-hmm. yes people are different but let's focus on the similarities let's focus on what it, what you know let's focus on what we have in common treat everyone the same treat everyone respectfully and no one person by any characteristic is better than another right like you know obviously you can take the extremes but um but now i'm like okay if this is how you're teaching kids not to be racist and you're focusing on hyper like being hyper racialized and not be racist which i don't think will work like my other concern is the overcorrection going the other way so um i heard you talking with um uh, I think I believe she's a she works in education, and you were talking about um, I think I have it open here. Uh, I can give you her name. Okay, uh, I think it was Ileana Redstone. Oh, Ileana Redstone. Ileana, yeah, she's okay. a brilliant professor yeah. at University yeah. of Illinois. Yeah. yeah. You were talking with her about some of this stuff, and you're like, oh, the, well, the kids are going to rebel, and you know, kids are always rebellious. But if it is, yes, they are always rebellious. But are they going to rebel in so much that it's an overcorrection in the other direction? Because I, I see that coming from the right. You, know, you talk about the woke, you know, the woke mm-hmm. on the left or whatever. But the red pills are just as crazy. Agreed. And you're seeing, you know, a pushback on that, which is also anti-education because I think there's some on the left as well. And they're, I'm just like, where does that leave us? Like, we used to have crazies, but then we had 
people who are fighting for truth, if you want to call it that. I mean, mm-hmm. like, so like, those are my two concerns. Like, are we setting up kids to be picked off? And are we setting up for a major overcorrection? Yeah, so radicals on one side go radicals on the other. I yeah. think that's why we have Trump. I think it's pretty clear. I mean, it's, it's hard to argue that that's, that's not why we have Trump. Yeah. Is It was the... The, that was, you know, 2015 was when the whole thing happened at Yale with Nick Christakis, where people were yelling at him for just saying, hey, we should allow kids to wear whatever Halloween costumes. And it was this big thing. And that's when the safe spaces started and all of that stuff. And that's all it took to tip the scales a little bit more in the side of Trump. So that's where it started. And we wouldn't get a Trump if there wasn't that kind of push. So, yeah, radical on one side goes to radical on the other. But where I think the left radical is more dangerous is again we don't we don't recognize it as as the average citizen in america doesn't look at that and say oh that's dangerous where we look at the kids marching with tiki torches in virginia we go oh that's dangerous we look at white supremacists and neo-nazis and overwhelmingly we go terrible idea but when the jussie smollett thing happened and overwhelmingly a lot of people who are well you know in hollywood or wherever said like well it's okay because it's uh, it's a deeper problem than just this one guy it's and they couldn't say what he did was really really bad that's that's where my issue is is the pr is just way better for the left the pr it looks way better so it's harder to protest against it so, yeah, I think kids might get radicalized, but very soon, as soon as you start throwing out some sort of racial slur or something like that, people go, whoa, 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 no, no, that's not what we're doing here. But that's not happening as much on the other side. Ben Shapiro will stop, cut that dead in its tracks. Yeah. And I don't know if the other side will. But, okay, that speaking of stuff like that, mm-hmm. I don't want to stray too much off education because I, I think – right. it's, it's just because I think if you don't fix the education – you're not going to fix anything downstream from there, right? Um, That's why I'm doing it, yeah. But, like, the the race thing. And the way this is talking about race, so you had people of color, then it was BIPOC, which is black and indigenous people of color who are more impressed than other people of color. So other people of color should give the black and indigenous people of color space. So just like they would say, you know, white people step back, now they're saying BIPOC get up front, people of color go behind them and then recently uh i've been seeing stuff like even though black people were brought to these states as slaves and they were enslaved because they were enslaved by the colonizer and brought over by the colonizer they helped they helped the colonial powers so they helped the genocide of the of the natives so like they're even the natives are even more oppressed than the people who were slaves. Now, that's not a way to talk about racism. Like that—that that is inherently racist. Um, someone I know—I don't know—she's uh, uh, a human rights activist. She's an ex-Muslim. She's also an ex-Muslim activist. She started ex-Muslims in North America. One of the people who started mm-hmm. it. She did a really good thread on intersectionality. You know where it started from, what its merits are, because intersectionality has some merits. Like what it's talking about is important. Well, that's and where it started, right? In the Ford factory. Yeah, uh, like, GM, I yeah. think it was. GM, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then she went down and listed, okay, here's how it hurts, you know, the intersections that you're actually talking about, the marginalized people within the marginalized communities, here's how it hurts us. By the end of it, by people who are, you know, progressive, woke, anti-racist, whatever, they're telling her that, oh, you sound and think white. And she's, you know, Pakistani woman. Now, if... David Duke said that to a you know a black person like you sound white, it would go crazy. But these woke people are telling, you know, a Pakistani woman that oh what you're saying that's white thinking. And that's directly from the literature. If a, like those are for public schools, like a private school can do more you know what they want. Uh, mm-hmm. Like faith-based schools, I don't know what the laws are in the states for those. They can do more or less what they want as long as they pass exams of a certain level, right? Um, but how much leeway does a teacher have? Like here, you have to teach this stuff. And like, you're a teacher, you look at it and go, this is nonsense. Like how much leeway do you have on what you have to teach? Um, it depends on the school. It depends on the school district. It depends on public or private charter, all of that kind of stuff. 
Um, I just want to want to go back to. I don't know if you read the Douglas Murray book, Madness of Crowds. Yep. Okay. Um, like that whole book is basically about highlighting the hypocrisy, and this is something that I got into with my conversation with James Lindsay, and I'm seeing it again. Um, is you? I mean, even with you, it's like you're tr- you're trying to make sense of this. You're taking this seriously, and you're going, okay, I'm try- I'm listening, I'm reading, I'm trying to like now fit this together, and I'm seeing just too many. There's too much hypocrisy. There's too many. There's too many problems with this. And I'm trying. I'm re- and I see you like sincerely trying to figure it out. And I think a lot of people are sincerely trying to figure it out. But I just like part of what makes you good at my job is I'm just a simpleton. I just can make things really simple. Um, it doesn't make sense. You can't figure it out. You can't. And that's the whole point I think that Douglas Murray is trying to make, and that a lot of um, you know, if, if Eric Weinstein can't figure it out, you know, I mean. Like it's not, it's 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 not meant to be read like that. And the people that are following it, they haven't read it and put this much effort into it. It's it is nonsense. I mean, it it it, it is. And and of course, if you you highlight the hypocrisy, the the pivots are built into the theory that you can't prove it wrong because it's rooted in postmodernism. So it's it's not. I think that I and I did it too. But I think that we're kind of spinning our wheels and just frustrating ourselves, just getting angry and more more angry and more pissed off and more just frustrated when we try to figure this out. I I don't think it's something that you can figure out. I'm what I've tried to do just recently is now just go talk to people as individuals and see what is really going on that you're you're buying into this. There's something deeper going on. There's some sort of level of anger or you've been hurt by people or you're really struggling with your own kind of maybe psychological issues or just, or whatever it might be. And, you know, I'm not a therapist, but, you know, if you're subscribing to these ideas, you're, there's a reason why it's not because the re the ideas are good. So I just want to just, just put that out there because I think all of us are wasting a lot of time trying to make sense of this. And I uh, don't think I'm not trying to make sense of it. I I was trying to point out at that, like what I was trying to point out is like, these people are calling themselves anti-racist. Yet they're telling, you know, right. and, and and then like they're gonna say, oh well, you're playing identity. You're talking about. I'm like, yes, she's a Pakistani woman. She's brown, and you're telling her that she's sounding white, and you're saying you're anti-racist. Like I'm trying to point these things out. When I talk to my friends, you know, I'm 50. I have friends who are, you know, give or take a few years my age, and they'll put up something about, oh, whiteness is bad. I'm like, do you know? And it's like, yo, know, Facebook page. I'm making this Facebook page up, like anti-racism yeah. coalition or something right. like that, right? I'm like, do you know where that comes from? It's the I don't know if you read the read the book by Jonathan Rauch, um, Kindly Inquisitors. No, I haven't. Okay, great book. It came out in '93, and uh, he did he wrote about the fatwa that uh, Ayatollah had on uh, Solomon Rushdie, and he was also talking about the religious right. But then at the same time, he was talking about what he called the humanitarian threat. So. He calls the Enlightenment liberal science, and he said there's two funda- there, there's two types of fundamentalist threats, or two types of authoritarian threats to liberal science. There's the fundamentalist one, which is the religious right and you know the, the Ayatollahs and all that, and he said there's the humanitarian one, and he was bringing up cases in universities in the early 90s and the late 80s about, oh, we have to have this speech code because we need to stop racism. So this was pre-critical race theory, pre-intersectionality, or just around when it was starting, but it was more of the postmodern stuff. And this is what this is. So it's like, you know, I speak to a friend of mine and then, well, why do you want to do that? It's like, well, don't you want to fight racism? And that's what it is. It's like, they think they're fighting racism. And, I, yeah. you know, no, it's just, you know, uh, James Lindsay equated this to a faith. And when I first got back overseas and start, from overseas and started seeing it, I'm like, this is faith-like. Yeah, it and, is. And they, just like people of faith, like, you know, the amount of Christians who don't read the Bible, the amount of Muslims that don't read the Quran, especially the yes. Muslims, they can't read it because it's in Arabic and they don't understand it. But um, So friends of mine who didn't do this in school, didn't do it, all of a sudden say, oh, it's anti-racist or they take a diversity class at work. It's like, oh, I got to put this in action. It's They don't know where it comes from. And I'm trying to point that out to them. I'm like, this is not yeah. all that it's cracked up to be, right? No, no, it's not. <laughs> no, and but but it, again, the PR is so good. I mean, it's probably similar to Christianity, where 
in Christianity, I mean, if, how many Christians actually live as Christians? You know, try to mimic their life off of Jesus. If they did, the world would be a great place. I mean, Christianity at its core, there's a lot of beautiful, beautiful things in it. But we don't, that's, it's a hard way to live and not many people do. Um, you know, but yeah, I mean, I guess it's just like, I'm thinking like if it's a kickball game, and then some people say, you have these rules, I have these rules. Like, you can't play a game. And then if you say, like, well, I got you, it's like, well, no, you didn't get me because I took three steps to the left. And if I do that, then I can do X, Y, and Z. It's like, well, I didn't know those rules. It's like, well, it's part of the rules where I am this person, so I get to make up my own rules when I go between second and third base. It's just it's just, just going to get more and more muddled. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sorry, just getting off of the off of track about, uh, about um, in education, I think it, it depends on the school. But giving pushback, you do get labeled as a racist, sexist, homophobe. And I um, talked about uh, a woman. I mean, there's a bunch of these. And I ha- I have avoided it um, just for different reasons. But I have, um, you know, friends who – one friend I talked about it on one podcast. She didn't want to wear a rainbow on her ID. And her, her colleague said, like, well, you're, you know, you're promoting homophobia. And she has a gay brother that she was the efficient at their wedding. You know, she's not. <laughs> and um, and she's like, well, no, I just don't want to. I don't want to virtue signal. I want to say like, hey, I'm I'm so woke. I just don't want to do that. And so, you know, or you know, it happens where kids will come back and if they fail a test, I've had teachers who say like, you know, a kid fails a test and they say, like, oh, it's because I'm racist. It's like, no, look, here's what you got wrong. No, I'm racist. Then they have to go in front of the the, the administration and prove that they're not racist. And it's just so again. I I think it's I think it's just you kind of learn to just keep your mouth shut. I have friends that are very progressive, wealthy, you know, Santa Monica, Beverly Hills, private schools with a lot of celebrity kids and stuff. And they say that you know it's all these diversity and inclusion, equity assemblies and stuff like that. And he's like, I see what it is. And he's like, I just keep my mouth shut. It's a good job. I get paid well, so I'm just gonna keep my mouth shut. So I think a lot of it is keeping our mouth shut. And it's just ironic because. Yesterday was Martin Luther King Day, and one the big thing Martin Luther King was all about is you know letters from a Birmingham jail was you stand up against injustice and you don't let you don't sit idly by as things that are that you see as wrong continue and it's so strange I actually had my class do um, a comparison between what happened letters from a Birmingham jail and what happened to Brett Weinstein up in Evergreen about drawing a line and saying that I'm not going to stand for this stuff. And it's a, it's a stretch. And people say like, well, oh, you can't compare those two. But it's, I think it's just very fascinating that, in, you know, you know, that was in the mid 1960s. Now, whatever it is, 55 years later, we're looking at applying Martin Luther King's ideas to anti-racism. You know, I just think it's, it's fascinating. And I don't think it's something that you can't do. I think that principles exist on a greater scale than whatever the the surface issue is at hand the greater principle of sitting up against what, what you believe to be right and and last thing i'll say is like it's i believe i'm pushing back on this because i believe it is better for the marginalized groups i i care i'm a school teacher man like i care about kids i care about kids who are marginalized poor discriminated against all that kind of stuff truly and I don't think the the way that social justice is going is going is helping them. I think it's making them worse. And I have experiences, and I've read stuff, and I've and I've talked to a lot of people about this. Um, so that is why I'm pushing back. It's not because I don't like these groups. It's the opposite. It's not because I don't want to educate them. It's the opposite. I don't think that it's helping. I think it's hurting. Yeah. Okay. I'm the same way. Like I don't think this is the way you do it. I don't think it's helping kids. Um, I mean, I'll give you another example from up here. And these are anecdotal, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. A friend of mine's got a kid who's about to start the first grade. So I was taking his son to go Halloween shopping, like costume shopping, right? And he's telling me that he heard other children in the store telling their folks, I can't wear that because I might offend someone. These are kids who are eight or nine years old. Right. Now, yes, teach kids not to offend people. But a little kid going by a Halloween costume shouldn't have to worry that if he's going to be Aladdin or she's going to be Pocahontas or hell, if he wants to be Pocahontas, I don't give a rat's ass. 
-hmm. Let the kid pick out a Halloween costume that's going to make them happy. Like, I'm just worried about the neuroses you're giving little children. And, you know, it's... Like, I'm wondering if part of this is... um, Because you had a talk with someone, and you talked about... I think you said something like, well, if Google was good enough, I didn't need to be... I I know you were joking, right? You know, if Google was good enough, I don't need to be here. Mm. And I think there's a huge issue there. And, okay, I'm not trying to slight education or teachers or whatever. I think there are problems in the system as far as I can see them. But it's not like... But, like, this... The Google thing. When I was a kid, we learn how to use the library, the card catalog and whatever... You go get a book, you go to the reference section, you know, growing up and going to college, university, like they're using the reference libraries. Like, are kids being taught how to use Google for research? Like, are they being taught about the algorithm giving you what it thinks you want, not what you need? Um, like, because I mean, you can Google search something and, you know, you can find out the earth is flat, right? I, I, like, I don't know, yeah. like, is there some kind of like, like, cause I know you're working on something like more of that, like the critical training for the kids. Mm-hmm. Remember, if you don't, if they don't know how to research, like how are they going to be, you know, if you don't have the right knowledge, you can think well, but if the knowledge you're getting, you know, garbage in, garbage out, right? Yeah. I mean, no, they, they, they don't know. I mean, I have to explain to them what social media is. And I basically have this like, book. I just grabbed like a binder. I'm like, this is, I'm Mark Zuckerberg. This is my Facebook. Hey, you want to put your stuff in my Facebook and I can show it to all your friends? Come on, put your stuff in my book. Here, give me all your stuff. Put it in my book. And then I go over to someone else. Like, hey, look at what Cindy gave me. Look at what's in the book. And you can share that. And you can just – you don't have to mail anything. She can see it. Put your stuff in your book. And then you can share it. Hey, tell me all about yourself so other people can see. And then Bobby can read about you. And And then before you know it, I have this big book full of stuff. And I go, so you use all social media. How much have you paid? Zero. Okay. How are they the richest people in the world if you've paid them zero? And they don't know. I go, okay, well, here's how it is. I have all your information now. This is mine now. It's mine. I own this now. It's not your picture anymore. It's my picture. It's your. It's not your information. It's my information. I explain what data mining is. And I say, okay, now, you know, uh, Michelle in the back wants to start a business. You want to advertise your business, Michelle? What kind of business is it? It's a comic book store. So who are you looking for? You're looking for boys and girls between the ages of, you know, whatever, 14 and 18. Here you go. What city? Los Angeles. Um, you know, what what comic books for, in particular? Any like special kind? Here you go. Here I have the most catered advertising, you know, people, to, the appointed advertisers for you. Here you go. Pay me for that. I'll give it to you. And they they're, they're, they just go, oh, like they didn't know. Like you. When you don't know how the richest people in your country made their money, like that might be a problem. <laughs> like, so, so no, they they don't know how they're getting their information. They don't they don't you know know that Wikipedia is a, a it's a collection of sources. Like Wikipedia is not a source. You have to click on the number and go down and then follow that. And then like I do a, a project in my government class and my civics class where I have them choose a news story. And then they have to do um, four different sources, minimum four different sources from across the political spectrum. And then highlight what was left out, um, what was included, what was the word use, all that kind of stuff. And it's a great project. I love reading it too because they realize, like perfect example would be, uh, there was a church shooting um, maybe a year and a half ago in Texas. And you know, a more left-wing paper says, a uh, guy walks in with an, a- with an AR-15, shoots up a church, and then is stopped um, by, you know, or then is apprehended or something like that. Okay. And then the right wing paper says guy goes into a church, shoots up and is killed by an NRA, uh, 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 firearms instructor before he can kill anyone else. And both are true. Mm-hmm. So is the AR 15 good or bad? The right wing ones says AR 15s. Yes. Let's get more, more of them in the hands of people. The right, the left wing one says the, let's keep AR 15s away. But the truth is in the middle. That's what my whole podcast is all about. Like, there is truth to the the wokeness. There's truth to the idea. I believe that um, in the idea of privilege. Clearly, I believe that there's still racism. Um, I think there's clearly residuals based on the systemic racism of the past. That's not what my issue is at all. 
The issue is where it gets, you know, it gets further than that. So I just, I think that the kids just need to understand what that truth is multidimensional. There's all different perspectives. People, human beings are telling this story. Last thing I tell them is like, even if you are intentionally trying not to be biased, you're still going to be biased because if you want to say, um, you know, like Rebecca is thin, that's one thing. But you think about like who becomes writers, people who are good writers, people who are very, very um, descriptive in their language and their English teachers their whole life are like, oh, it's so beautiful. You should be a writer. And they go, oh, I'll be a writer. Cool. I'll go write for the New York Times. But, it, you know, Cindy is gaunt. Cindy, Cindy is uh, slender. Cindy is um, emaciated. Cindy is thin. You know, it's going to steer you down a certain way of thinking. So you have inherent biases and you are going to put that in your writing and that writing is going to start steering people's ideas. So, yeah, I think that I don't I don't know if I don't think they know how to research. And I don't know if they if kids or adults recognize that they're being led to think certain things. You only watch Fox News. You're going to get one side of the truth. You only watch CNN. You're going to get one side of the truth. And it's really complicated. These issues are really complicated. Oh, yeah, and OK, like even for adults, I, I don't think, um, you know, people don't realize or they don't have the wherewithal to, oh, they might say, oh, yeah, the algorithm does this, and they don't have the wherewithal to go in there and, okay, I read a story on CNN, I'm going to go read one on Fox. Like, they don't know to do that, right? Or, um, but it's also just, okay, like, let's just say Google for sake of example. You type, like, you go to Google, you get the search page, you type in a, a question. So you're doing, um, you, you give your, your, you said you're doing civics, right? So let's say, uh, you're doing some history and you want to talk about like you know abolitionism and all that so you say okay do a, a report on the civil war so a kid goes in types in civil war and when he gets a results page instead of just listing off a bunch of things on the civil war if google broke it down to a bunch of tabs and said okay uh here's history here's science here's geography here's fiction um you know whatever like here's news reports from the day like so the science could be the engineering, it could be about medicine, like, you know, like the triage and all that that came out of it, right? Mm. And if the kid wants to read uh, some fiction about the Civil War, it can go on, like, historical fiction, right? Just that little thing on Google. And they can use, um, you know, like I said, this is just me dreaming stuff up. They can use, like, the Library of Congress card catalog system of how they classify these things. So just that small change in Google. Like, if you go to the fiction section when you look up Civil War and you expect to have facts there, then there's something wrong with you, right? Um, and also, I think Google, more than the other ones, but Google should definitely act as librarians. They're the curators of information. They're not the holders, and they're not the, they shouldn't be disseminating to us what they think we want. They should, you know, they should curate it. They should act like librarians. Um, they should, but, you know, public libraries or publicly funded, they didn't have... A, a dog in that fight but google does google is trying to take over the world They're, i mean <clears throat> i'm a capitalist my wife is a small business owner an entrepreneur and like you know work hard and and i love capitalism i think that it's great but it needs to be regulated and mm -hmm. clearly the the tech is not being regulated i mean nearly enough so you pay enough money they will put your ideas top they will highlight your book the card catalog will not be based on alphabetical order so to speak it'll be just based on you know whoever whoever wants to be in the front of the card catalog will be there and that is a huge problem i agree with you i think that's the way google should be run but how do we get it there i don't see the CEOs of Google or of these social media companies, Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey, just going, you know what? There's a lot less profit in it, and I'm sure the shareholders would be cool with this, but we're going to do the right thing. I just don't, I, I would love for that to be the case, but I don't think so. Unless someone wants to come along and do something better and present it in a way that's better, but I don't know if people care. I don't know if they really care about getting the truth. I don't know if they really care about getting, you know, that nuance. Um, I don't know if they, I don't know if they're trying to find the truth. I think I think that they're okay with the way that it is and just being given what they're given. It's almost like a Noam Chomsky, you know, manufacturing consent idea. Like just here, you want this? 
okay, cool. Then I'll then I'll take it. I yeah. think we're just we're very passive in in the way that we live our lives and the the, the information that we consume. So I agree with you. I, that'd be ideal, but I I don't know how it'll happen. Maybe in education we push these ideas onto the next generation and they they fight back and they become a CEO of Google. They stand up and they say this isn't right. We're going to do this better. We're going to create a better product and that will be profitable. I believe that capitalism can be the way to make the world a better place. I also think it'd be a way to make the world a worse place, but I think you can use the free market and get people better and still turn a tremendous profit. I just, I think it's more complicated maybe. I don't yeah, know. I mean, okay. Free market with social nets. Cause I mean, you need to have, like you said, the regulation, you know, For sure. you, you can't let people run amok. Um, I, I want to ask you something about this. It's just because I've been speaking to a couple of people in education. Um, I was speaking with, I don't know if you know her, uh, Courtney Jones. She did the, like, the clear the way. I do. Okay. Yep. Support to teach. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. And, yeah. That's incredible. Like, and I saw that and I was just, I was amazed because teachers are asking for pencil sharpeners. And I'm like, yeah. really? You can't put pencil sharpeners in classrooms? Right. Like, you know, um, now, I didn't know what a Title I school is. A, I'm in Canada. I'm not in the States, right? So I started okay. looking at this. You know, I mean, obviously, you're, in, you're, in, you're a teacher. You don't know. You might not know all the answers to this. But is it like a cookie-cutter approach? Okay, Title I schools get this. So it doesn't matter if it's a Title I school in your rural Missouri or a Title I school in you know the project somewhere, right? Oh, this is this is what you're getting. These are your resources. Is that like what how it works? Or? Um, I, I've... I don't, I'm not an expert in this. Um, you know, I'm, I go in the classroom and do my thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but I believe it's just, yeah, from the federal government, you get X amount of money. But how much the federal government should be involved in education, period, is, you know, is up for valid debate because it's not technically constitutional. Like, it's supposed to be a state issue. It's supposed to be little laboratories in each, in each state running an educational system and then you know, whichever one worked and they look at that. It's not supposed, I mean, it's nowhere in the constitution. This is, this is 10th amendment. It's supposed to defer to the states, but you know, the whole idea of slavery and segregation and stuff like that really threw a wrench in that idea because you don't want kids being taught horrible, horrible things. It's not good for all of us. Um, but as far as funding goes, it's a, it's a mixed bag. Cause I've been at schools where you, you were limited to like X amount of copies per week. So you couldn't because they had limits on paper and stuff or really old textbooks. But you can still make an awesome classroom. And I've also been at like schools in bad neighborhoods that were well funded. I don't know if it's a money issue. I think it's a bureaucracy issue. I think there's a lot of overhead. I think there's a lot of experts and um, analysts and a lot of you know consultants and stuff that are taking salaries. And it's it's absurd that we, yeah, that teachers, and there's a lot of them, and I know what Courtney does, like, there's a lot of them that don't have access to markers. It's like, this is absurd, but you have five specialists who are here to, like, break down all this stuff. You have a, maybe a diversity and inclusion specialist who brings down a, you know, $80,000 a year salary, right? So these kids are going to have a diversity and inclusion specialist, but they're not going to have markers. You know, like, the, it's, it's a mismanagement. Of, of resources. I posted something um, recently about Martin Luther King speaking out against the military industrial complex. And I can't formally endorse her, but I love Tulsi Gabbard. <laughs> and she reaches out, she pushes back on that too. It's not that we don't want defense. We want defense. People are like, we have to defend ourselves. Like, yeah, but we just, we're cutting blank checks. I mean, there's, if you look up like a bolt, like a regular bolt in a fighter jet is something like $20,000. Cause they just get whatever they want. I mean, like, it's just not efficient. We're not efficient with our money. Okay, We're not I, efficient with our yeah, resources. We need yeah. to be more efficient. I'm just going to interrupt for a second. I did yeah. 13 years in war zones work as a contractor. I've okay. seen the waste in military. I've seen, okay, yeah, it's, yeah. it's nuts. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, okay, like, the, the money thing, I, I know it's not necessarily a money problem, but, like, I, what I like, wasn't even so much the funding. It's, like, just the approach, like, yes, you can say, okay, you have X, like, do they say here's X amount of dollars, use it how you see fit or here's X amount of dollars. You have to spend this on books, this on that. And then um, like the testing, like I know it's not all schools and I know it's, but like the standardized testings, like, so here are the regulations. Like, so, you know, I, again, it's just from an outsider, like you're teaching the kids to take these tests. You're preparing them to do that. 
instead of trying, okay, like, let's say a school district got funding and it's in a low income area, right? Mm-hmm. If the school shouldn't have to do that, but instead of spending, let's say, instead of spending money on, like you said, one of these administrators, whatever, because I think there's a lot of bloat all the way through myself, like from one reading, reading. Okay, you used to do that for a couple after school programs. So you can have kids play games or whatever. And I like the, I don't know if you know Free Range Kids, I like their kind of idea that, that mm-hmm. you know, Lenore Skenazi pushes. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have an adult there to make sure they're not dying, but there's very minimal supervision. Uh, supervision. You let the kids kind of work it out, right? But because a lot of these areas, it's not just the money. It's uh, what's the home life like? What you know? What's their neighborhood that they're living, growing up in? Uh, you know, there's all these other things. So if you give kids a space and not waste it, and I, it is waste on these diversity people and all that. You know, like it's just a lot of waste as far as I'm concerned. Like, it, like, how much does a school district have, like, choice? How much does a, you know, an individual school yeah. have? Like, um, Yeah, it's it's usually up to the district. Then it goes even back to, then to, like, the principal and the administrators at the individual school, usually, with, for how to spend that as well. Like, it just, it kind of, like, filters down. But, yeah, I mean, the after-school programs and stuff like that, when I, the, when I was teaching um, in East L.A., it was, like, a pretty, pretty tough school. Like, I got there two hours early and stayed two hours late and I'd lift with them or I taught them martial arts and I would help them study. Like I was there all the time. They just, a lot of kids came cause they're just like, we have nothing to do. We have nothing to do. And then they, so they go out and they get into trouble. So like that's, yeah, there's not enough. There's not, not enough of that, that focus of like, you know, the community. And there are a lot of schools that do a great job, but I just, I try to like look at them and say, you know, how do we do this better? But the teachers know, and sometimes administrators, even great ones, you know, there's a reason why I've seen this happen where, you know, teachers are all kind of in like one crew and then one of them gets promoted and becomes an administrator. And all of a sudden they're like the pariah. They're like, oh, now they're on the other side. They're the bad guy. And there is always, um, and I've been at a bunch of schools, like I've been at like four different schools, like in LA, like they're all, there's kids, they're contentious. There's always going to be the administration, administration versus the teachers, administration going, teachers, you don't understand what I'm dealing with. Teachers going, you don't understand what I'm dealing with. So there is that tension about like, like what is the best way to spend this money? And I don't know. I don't want to be an administrator. I never want to be an administrator. Okay. It's, I want to be in the classroom talking to kids. Um, cause it's, it's 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 really complicated. I don't know. I don't know how to spend the money the best way. I don't know. But I don't think it's necessary and I do think that it's being spent poorly. <laughs> so it's like I'm casting stones without giving a solution, which isn't ideal. No, I mean, okay, and yeah. it, you know, like I agree with you that it's not always money. Um, but money certainly helps to mm-hmm. fix other That's things, but cuz like I said, I I was trying to look at this cuz I got back from overseas in 2014 and I just like what the hell happened? I was gone for, mm. you know, thirteen years, and all of a sudden, it's just gone insane. Um, so, In what way? Well, everything. Like you can't say this. Um, you know, uh, uh, okay. Like I was never a vocal speaker about anything. Um, I'm an atheist. My family is Muslim. You know, I saw some of this stuff about like Islam and ex-Muslims, and it's just like, oh, you can't say that about Islam because it's Islamophobia. I'm like what the hell are you talking about? You know, uh, or the whole Ben Affleck, Sam Harris thing on, you know, you're you know, like, like stuff yeah. like that. And it just, you know, the, the Christakis's, um, in Missouri, uh, like, uh, that journalism professor is calling for people to come beat up a student journalist for filming over like reporting on a protest. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. Like, if that's not insane, I don't know what is. So like, I'd be trying to like, look at this and then, you see that the thing that came out of Harper, right? Oh, we're, they're actually holding Asian kids back and yeah. put, okay. And that's to help fight white supremacy, apparently, right? I, I'm like, okay, come on. Now, I've never been a person who's been in favor of, I understand affirmative action. I understand why it was necessary at a certain point. Mm-hmm. I still, I can still see some reasoning for it, but I think at, like at the university level, okay, first of all, if, we're, if you're not fixing the feeder system, it's too late at the university level, right? Like it, it's mm-hmm. just too bad, it, it, I, and I'm not too bad for the kids. Like it's what I like, like. Here's just again me thinking about these things and just you know 
I don't know if it will work or not, but until you can get that back, that feeder system fixed. So if you have people who show potential, but they don't have quite have the grades, they might not make it in, instead of bumping them up and saying, okay, you're going to Harvard Law School or Harvard Medical School, right? And there's a good chance you're going to flunk out because there's a good chance most people flunk out of that because they're hard. Um, why not say, okay, you know what? We'll reserve a space for you the following year. Go to a community college and take these courses and prep mm -hmm. yourself because you're you're not you have a lot of potential you look like you'll do good but you're not quite there and you won't do well at harvard right that's preparing the kids to actually succeed they might end up liking that community college and stay there right you never right. know um which is good for the college good for the community good, like like fixing the back end of it I, I i just think that they're oh we got this problem here so we're gonna patch it up here and we're gonna patch it up by putting people in and you know, like this, like I could be called a racist for saying this. Oh, what do you mean they can't do it? I'm like, if they don't have the proper education, if they, if you have to raise up their, you know, their 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 scores to show that they were able to get in, then they might not be able to succeed in there. And that's gonna, yeah. you know, and someone who's a racist is gonna say, see, they can't do it. So yeah, I mean, the the Harvard uh, Asian thing is really interesting because that's one where. Um, I think initially I go, oh, yeah, that's good because we want to get more diversity. And then I go to the other side, like, oh, that's really bad because now we're, we're struggling because and especially when you talk about like um, like lumping Asians together, like Japanese are not the same as Filipino as far as like culture goes and stuff like that. Or um, Hmong, like from Mongolia and like South Korean, like very different, like like just I mean, as far as education levels and IQs and all that kind of stuff. Then I talked to a friend of mine who went to Harvard, and he said the reason that he saw it was because a lot of these families that, you know, made grades such a focus, you know, they like the New York Times story, like they go without food sometimes to focus on SAT tutoring. He's like, but what happens is you get kids that are just academically minded and they don't have diversity. And it goes back to the other side of like it's a lack of diversity again because it's a diversity of thought, which is the diversity yeah. I think – we yeah. think is so important is you get kids then because of the way that they get you into Harvard is SAT scores and grade point average and stuff like that. So it'll be overwhelmingly just like these kids are very robotic about just being able to do really well on tests and it's a lack of diversity again. So it's like, it's again, it's just, this stuff's just really complicated. The, um, I read a book called mismatch about affirmative action and it was really, again, fascinating because I love being, being like getting my mind blown, but like, oh, I didn't, I didn't see this side. And one of the, the there were two big arguments about it, but one of the, the, the book was basically that affirmative action hurts poor black communities the most. I said, wait a second, isn't that the opposite of what it's supposed to do? So one is um, if, it's, if it's affirmative action based to get into university based on race, then they're gonna take the best from that race. Who's the best? The ones that can afford tutors, the ones that go to the best schools, the ones that you know have two parents in the household and get read to every night. So those black kids have the have the edge and they get in. The poor black kids who don't have two parents in the household, who don't have you know money for a tutor, they're still left behind. That's not the first one. And then the second one is even when they get in, like you said, they don't have the skills. It's not because they're not capable. It's because they weren't given the skills. So to say to lower, we know this, like we don't lower the standards on a lifeguard. Oh, you don't, you're not a good swimmer, but you know what? It's cool because you're a marginalized person. Like we know that that's bad. It, they will drown and they'll kill someone. We know that. We know that with surgeons. We know that with everything. But then we make it this arbitrary idea that even if you don't aren't up to pace, when you get in, you'll step up like i know you're not a great swimmer but when someone's drowning you will be able to it's like no no and the data shows that the kids who are brought in through affirmative action programs have a way higher dropout rate and it goes over like what the statistics are it's way higher so you go out there and you fail swimming to save someone how does that make you feel you go to the school and you get in everyone's like oh you got into princeton great job and then you go i can't hang what? I didn't learn this in my crappy school in the hood. Like, what's going on? And then you fail out, and now you're the kid who failed out. 
So the, the, if you want to get better at basketball, you don't lower the rim. You don't move the lines. You get them the skills to be better at basketball. If you're trying to get more uh, marginalized people, you want to get more poor kids, white, black, whatever, into major universities, yeah, me too. There are brilliant, untapped, genius minds in these trailer parks and housing projects that we want at these universities. But we have to give them the hard skills. We can't just tell them, oh, that's, a, again, why I don't like a lot of the, the wokeness stuff. We can't keep telling them that the world is out to get them. We need to focus on them learning hard math, being a great communicator, learning proper English so they can communicate their ideas well and be taken seriously with their brilliant ideas. I don't think that because of the color of your skin or your background or how much money your parents have or anything like that, that you are any less capable of doing amazing things in the world. We, you need to be able to, to be given the skills. You need to do your laps. You need to do your shoot your free throws, put in that time to grind and be told you got to grind. And then you, when you do it, you'll be able to succeed and then get them in. We can't, it's not helping them. It's not helping anyone. It's hurting them to let them into these universities. That's, that's, that's my take on it. And it's, it's really frustrating. It's just, it's so, it's so lazy. Oh, yeah. we want more black kids. So let's just lower it. Like what? Like, what are you talking about? That's so ridiculous. Like try okay. harder. <laughs> Australia did this last year. I don't know if you saw or not. And it was just to help fight sexism in, in STEM fields. They lowered the requirements for women to get into engineering. Yeah. I'm like, okay. So yeah. to fight sexism, you're implying that women can't compete. Right. All right, good for you. Um, <laughs> see where that goes. Yeah, see see where that goes. Like, how do you think stereotypes start to begin with? Okay, have you, you know? looked at? Um, there's a school in the UK called the Michaela School. I don't know mm. if you okay. No. Okay, check it out. Um, so the woman who started it, she it, it, the Michaela School. It, it it's like the British equivalent of a charter school. Okay. Now. Uh, some people accuse her of being draconian and whatever. I think some of them, she's a little stricter than I would like, but they just had their first um, graduation type of thing. So the first test of the first class that graduated, that's what they're going to go off the college. It was, they basically blew every other school away, like in the UK. Um, but, you know, she does things like no smartphones in the school. The kids can have like the old Nokia phones, right? But no smartphones. Uh, some of the things that she does, like she's like, all oh, the kids are happy, whatever. Like no talking in the halls between classes. Just get out of your class, go to the next class. No, you know, you have your lunch time, you have your breaks, you're outside, you're playing, fine. In, but you know, that three or four minutes in between class, go get your stuff, go, no, like, and you can like look up on the school, like it, they've been doing really well, and they're overbooked, and then. Some of her stuff I find, like I said, I find a little harsh. I, I'm not one of these people who say, oh, you're completely draconian, whatever. Um, right. I mean, she said something once where parents should um, respect the rules from the school and the rules of the teacher. And, like, you shouldn't question. And what she meant was, like, if your teacher, if your kid is sent home and the teacher says, okay, they got to write an essay because they were late or they were speaking up or something, right? Instead of, oh, my kid would never do that, how dare you? Or even if you have a complaint, speak to the teacher privately, not in front of the child, so the <clears> child doesn't think that, oh, mommy or daddy is going to disrespect the teacher for me, right? Right. Um, it's to, like, a united front. And obviously, and then people are like, oh, yeah, so if your kid comes home with a black eye because the teacher beat them, you know, you, you're not going to say And she's like, no. You know, but but it's, 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 it's going back to a straightforward, you know, front of the classroom, teaching, teaching the basics, you know, teaching and thinking, and it's showing results. Like, uh, yeah. I don't know, like, I mean, because I know that she did come to a couple of schools out here, and people from uh, schools in Canada and the U.S. have sent uh, people out to Michaela to take check it out, see what she's doing. Um, you might be interested in that, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I'll check yeah. it out. I mean, yeah, I mean, think definitely teaching discipline, teaching, you know, like, that yeah, there are rules, there's structures, discipline, hard work. That's that's the, those are the messages. Those are the messages. And I've talked to so many students that I've had in the past who are, you know, 
marginalized, you know, black, brown kids, um, poor communities, you know, some kids who are homeless and stuff like that. And they're like, my whole life I was told the world is just structured that I can't succeed. And he's like, and like, I, just one kid I'm thinking of, he's just like, that's bullshit. It's like, yeah, I can do anything. Like, I didn't realize that till I was like 20. I was like, yeah. well, I'm glad you realized it. Yeah, I agree. You absolutely can't. Yeah, I mean, it's just they, they just need to have they, they can't run the they can't run the program. They can't just you know, they can't they're not in charge and they need to know that and they need to know that there's a system here. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll definitely check it out. That's cool. Um, uh, her name is Catherine Birbal's Birbal Singh. Um, so the last name spell it like it sounds Singh is S I N G H. Uh, so, but yeah, uh, you know, obviously, you know, I, I don't agree with everything I say. I, you know, like, so, yeah. but it, something's working right. If the kids are doing that well, something's going to be working right. I don't want to take too, too much of your time, but going on to the college thing, uh, okay. you know, when I was in high school, you had the option of vocational stuff, right? Um, but I don't know why that got such a bad reputation. And, you know, I mean, and it's not like, oh, well, you're just saying people are too dumb. But I'm like, you know, like I have a really good friend of mine. He, he's really good at cabinet, you know, cabinet, mm -hmm. cabinet making, carpentry, yeah, all that. He's awesome. Sure. And he reads and he's a smart guy. He just didn't like school. Yeah. But he went to carpentry, went, you know, and then like, Take pride. Like I don't know why. Like yes, if you want to go to university, go to university. But it sh I don't know if that should be our default. Yeah. I, okay. I'm I'm on board with you. So um, the 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 in vogue thing is college prep. So all kids should go to college. Yeah. I hear politicians saying every kid should go get a college degree and blah blah blah. blah. And I disagree. I don't think co I think college. What we're doing is we're telling these kids to go to college. What if I can't afford it? Take out loans. So the whole college loan thing is disgusting on so many levels from our government, the fact that we're pushing kids into being strapped to this enormous debt, studying things they don't know what they're, what, why they're studying. Okay, College degrees are not as valuable as they used to be. Okay, That's number one. If everyone goes to college, that doesn't set you apart. They're more expensive than they've ever been. And I don't even know if the value is there anymore. I just did a video. Um, I don't know if I posted my social media yet, but it used to be that this was where you had access to the most brilliant minds and the best libraries. Well, the internet took that away because we have access to, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll watch a, a Nick Christakis um, lecture, a Jordan Peterson lecture, and, you know, like all of these just like brilliant, you know, minds. <clears throat> so I have access to them, access to every library. So what is college really? It feels like a nightclub. It feels like a place where you go and you network with other people. And if you go to a small community college and you network with those kinds of people, if you go to Princeton, you network with those kinds of people. And then it becomes who you know. And you made this deal because this person was in your sorority or fraternity or in your dorm. And it just feels very elitist. It feels very gross. It feels like it's coming at the expense of the poor marginalized groups um, at you know, for these elitists who have, you know, like this feeling like, oh, well, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm in this situation and it doesn't, it's not going to strap my family to pay for this $60,000 a year tuition. And I'm going to go here and then I'm going to meet this person whose uncle runs this company. And I mean, that's the way the world works. But what about hard skills? Yeah. What about building cabinets? What about air conditioning repair? Diesel mechanics. Go be a diesel mechanic. You will make a six-figure salary in a few years and always have a job. Like there, there's so many avenues. Even business, like Gary Vaynerchuk and stuff. He's always saying, "Don't go to college." Like, if you want to go to college for business, you can. But I tell students all the time, you can't. Or you can just start a business, or you can get a job at a business. People who are are high up in careers, they want to share their knowledge, so you can get paid and learn or pay a ton of money and learn. You know, like I just I just think that we're no, again, this seems lazy. What do we do after high school? Uh, send them to college. Like let's think harder. College isn't for everyone. My wife didn't go to college. She's very successful, very brilliant. I know a lot of people that, you know, went to a crappy state school and are very successful. I know a lot of people that went to the best schools and are really lost and don't know what to do with their lives. But kids are buying into this because parents do. I think the last thing is I think parents go, like, you said you don't have kids. I have two kids. I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old. 
And when they do something good, my um, five-year-old won an award at his school for most respectful. I was like, damn right. I'm a good dad. Like it was like it was like a it was like a gold star for me as a dad. It's like it wasn't me. There's a lot of people in his life, and he's a great kid. Like it's not me. So how do you quantify how good of a parent you are? Well, if you tell all your friends, my kid got into Yale. Well, then you get a gold star, Mr. Mom and Dad. Like that. It's a lot of that going on. It's the name of the college. It's like a, a Kia. You know, makes really nice luxury cars now, but no one wants that. You know, like the, the the Volkswagen Phaeton that came out like whatever 10, 15 years ago was like an amazing V12 luxury car, but no one wanted to pay $80,000 for a Volkswagen. Like you can get a great education at a, at a state school, at a community college or on the job or just backpacking through Europe. But how do you quant? Oh, well, he's backpacking through Europe. He's a bum. Oh, he goes to, to state school. He's a loser. He's a truck driver. He's a loser. It's like, well, he makes more money. He has more time with his family. He's not in debt. Like, let's think about this a little bit harder. All this stuff, all of this stuff, I think, is about critical thinking, challenging what we just are, are going blindly through. And let's, let's think a little bit harder about what we're doing. And it goes for all of this, and I think it goes for college as well. Yeah, I mean, okay. Also, uh, like, I, honestly, I really just don't, but I think we've, like, like home ec, a course yeah. like that. People are like, oh, they don't teach it anymore. I'm like, okay. We had home ec in my school. Everyone had to take it. You know, okay, I, I'm not telling you I can sew you a suit, but I can darn a sock and I can put on a button, you know, and I knew how to, like, cook a basic meal when I was a teenager, right? Yeah. But that also teaches you uh, budgeting skills. It teaches you how to manage your money. It teaches you, like, so, oh, well, home ec's not important. Because, you know, we don't really need this. And then now they're going back saying we want to teach kids finance. I'm like, you're teaching them all that anyways. And you're giving them skills. Right? Like, yeah. like is that, again, a funding thing? Or is that a administration well, thing? Is that like, oh, like, who decides that's not worthwhile? Well, yeah. I mean, it, that it's... They, they look at how, how do you quantify this? It's, it's, it's easy to quantify math scores and test scores and stuff like that to show that you're learning. It's very hard to quantify the job that I'm in. Am I a good teacher? Sure. Prove it. Like, prove it. Like, I'm in the long game. I, I want a 35-year-old girl or guy to come up to me and say, hey, Mr. Roosh, you know what? I live a great life. I'm, it's filled with purpose and meaning, and and I have, you know, a lot of, uh, I help a lot of people, and I make a good living, and I blah, 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 and you had something to do with that. Okay, that that's what I'm going for. Like, that's that's kind of down the road. It's not really easily scalable for a for a business or for any kind of like operation. So they they're again they're phoning it in like test scores or something like that. It's hard to test score home ec. Um, I also think that there's a big part of this that gets ignored with the education discussion. And yeah, I don't have a ton of time, but the uh, but it's the 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 discussion of what's going on at home. Like, are parents sitting down with their kids? and cracking an egg and showing how to make pancakes? Some are, good. Are they showing how to sew a button? Some are, good. Many are not. We're too fast paced, we're watching Netflix, we're just throwing our kids in front of a screen and giving them, giving them um, you know, uh, an iPad. We're not, like, this isn't all on the schools. And this is something that Samantha Hedges, who um, is the co-moderator of my, my Heterodox Academy group, like she brought up is the fact that school is compulsory there's an element that goes, oh, well, then I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about educating my kids because that's on the school. And then the parents can complain to the school when things don't go right. But like the, the primary teacher should be at home and the school should be supplementary. Like you should be reading to your kids at home. You should be helping them to pronounce words at home, like all of this stuff. But people are too busy. People have crammed in so much. People are on their phones. People are doing all this stuff. And I am too. Okay, I'm guilty of this. Um, but it's a problem and it can't all fall on the schools and the school funding and things like that. Like we want everyone to do things for us, but we got to take responsibility for ourselves, for our loved ones and try to, to model something different. You know, if, if you have a neighbor, bring the neighbor's kids over and you can do a lesson in your house about how to read to, you know, make friends. With your, they don't even talk to your neighbors, talk to your neighbors, 
invite them yeah. over, have a lesson. You know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. the, there's there's a lot, a big element of that that I think is just missing and needs to be a part of the conversation. So. Yeah, okay, and you know, I, like everything I said, I was trying to more find out. Like I, I don't think, I agree with you that, you know, stuff should start at the home, but I also think there's so many things and like, I don't, you know, like we could go on for hours, but like parents don't have enough time because they have to take the kids to hockey practice, to this, to that, to that. Like kids can't be left alone. So parents, you know, so there is no time. Like, I think there's so many things that came together at once and it's not just one fix. Right. Um, but yeah, there, there, there's, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done. And like, you shouldn't rely on the schools. Like, Ethics and values and morals should be taught at home. The sh- school should teach the kids how to think. I mean, th- there is a division of labor there, right? You know, and and parents should help with that. Like, I was lucky. I had, you know, mom and dad. My mom used to teach in Pakistan before we moved to Canada. You know, so she she was into teaching. So, you know, I had parents who spent time with us and did all that. So I was lucky. Not everyone has that. But, yeah, it's, you know. We have to take a share out of every, everything, and it's. But uh, I don't want to, like I said, I, I should let you go. Uh, if you want to let people know where they can find you, your podcast, uh, any last words you want to give out? Oh, cool! Thank you. I, oot! I heard the <laughs> Canadian. Oh, yeah, there you go. Uh, um, yeah, so the podcast is Cylinder Radio. The idea is that um, it's about different perspectives. So from one side, a cylinder looks like a circle. From one side, it looks like a rectangle. But it's a it's a complex thing. So. You know, just trying to think our way through these these ideas. So it's typically with a guest and we have some sort of issue on the table. You know, sometimes it's controversial like abortion or racism. And then sometimes it's just like something like mindset. You know, it's all over the place. Um, but I, I, I really enjoy it. It's fun to, to just talk to people and try and, um, you know, spark those, those, those ideas. And then I, um, I use social media. Uh, it's Will Roosh, my name, W-I-L-L-R-E-U-S-C-H. And uh, again, it's just putting ideas out there has just sparked some thought. I don't even, I'll change my mind all the time on what I think is right or wrong. And some of that is from pushback. So I put myself out there. I believe the whole Teddy Roosevelt man in the arena thing. So I'm going to put myself out there as embarrassing as it is. And I feel really dorky talking into my phone selfie style. I do it. And then I hope that I put it out there and people go, oh, this is a good idea or it's a bad idea. And why? And we can just start doing something to get people out of their living life on autopilot. So, um, so that's what it is. And uh, and if you're interested in educational advocacy or you're a teacher or anything like that, uh, it's also as was mentioned um, on Facebook. If you type in the search bar, heterodox K-12 education group, and then you have to fill out a little Google form. But it's just a way to to start talking about how viewpoint diversity and critical thinking is really important for our schools. All right, well, thanks a lot, and thank you, everyone, for listening.